Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hello and welcome to another episode of Surveyor Says. Uh, this is Tim Birch and it's been a while, but we've had to we I roped him back in. He's been on the road, he's been uh, spreading the gospel across the, our great land about uh, land title survey issues. But we got him back. Uh, it's time to, to, to get back in the saddle with some land title survey things. And uh, so it's, of course, it's the one and only Gary Kent. Gary, thanks for joining me today. Hello, Tim. It's always my pleasure. All right. Well, something you and I talked about a little while ago and thought this would be a great topic uh, for our listeners, practitioners, what have you. Uh, and really, it's this, it's not just the practitioner itself, the surveyor, the signing surveyor. This is anybody that's engaged in the survey itself to know what contractually is uh, obligated to be able to, to do with this survey. So um, so we thought we'd jump into, into contracts and what needs to be done uh, to make sure that the surveyor is protected all the way through. So um, what are, I guess, initially, what, what do you tell people when, when you start talking about contracts when it comes to a land title survey? Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's a great, uh, a great jumping off point. Uh, I tell people that 100% of the time, they have a contract. You know, if you agree to do a land title survey, you have a contract. Uh, the advantage or the, the, the issue is, uh, is it written, in which case it's pretty clear what you've agreed to do, or is it a verbal contract, in which case it may not be so clear what was agreed upon. So the, you know, having a written contract is, is critically important. Kurt and I used to do, um, I used to go over to Victor O. Schinner, which is now just Victor. And that was the, you know, a very large professional liability manager there in, uh, in Washington DC area, I think in Chevy Chase actually <clears throat> on uh, Wisconsin Avenue. And there was a, an attorney there named Joe Jones. We got to know really well. Joe is a really good guy. And he and I were talking about this one time. He said, you know, uh, when I would get a call from uh, an insured who'd say, hey, I got, you know, got to let you know I've got this claim. He said, my first question was always, uh, what did your contract say? You know, what, what did you contract to do? And, and his comment was, I was uh, so often disappointed. Uh, and, and I'm like, well, why? He goes, because they didn't have a contract, right? Or they didn't have a written contract. Uh, and, and that's one thing that professional liability managers are going to tell you. you. You should have a written contract because then it's not a he said, she said. It's in writing as to what you agreed to do. And, and contracts are very powerful instruments, right? If somebody agrees to do something and someone else agrees to do something by virtue of signing the contract, uh, that will pretty much be upheld. Uh, so it's really important. I, I will add, there's only one disadvantage I can think of to a written contract. And that is, at least in some state, I know it's the case in Indiana, 
that um, the statute of limitations on a verbal contract is shorter. This is for breach, right? Statute of limitations sure. for breach of contract is shorter on a verbal contract than it is on a on a written contract. But I don't think that 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 is really does not outweigh the advantages of the written contract. Exactly. I know, I just know early in my career, the young the, the small firm I worked for in central Illinois, uh, you know, that was one thing that the, the owner prided himself on was his relationship with his clients. So, so many of our, our jobs we did was a handshake, you know, that that's the trust I have between myself and the client, which I get it. I mean, it was, it's, that's a totally honorable thing, but that was also 30 some years ago, but, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, at, over time, you know, everything has become so litigious that, yeah, I think it's got to be, it has to be really written out. What, what is the expectation of the surveyor in that deliverable? So, no, I think it's, this is a, a great topic to talk about because there's so many things that, and you have said famously for years, everything's negotiable. So really it comes down to putting whatever terms in that contract you're willing to put out for your liability. Is, is that, that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, it is a, it is a fair statement. And, uh, yeah, and speaking of that, I mean, your, uh, your professional liability uh, insurance folks will be happy to give you some guidance on you know, what should be in a contract and how it could be formulated and that sort of thing, because they, have, they certainly have no more interest in there being a claim against you than you have uh, interest in having a claim against you. So, uh, so they can be a, a really good resource uh, to help in that sort of thing. Okay. So when we're talking about contracts and limiting our liability, I guess, what are some of the things that you would, that, that people would typically contact you and say, you know, what, what's, what's, what's some really things that stand out to you that would be, should be in the contract. And uh, on the other hand, things that should not be in a contract. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll touch on those and then maybe we can just kind of walk through the process um, of one of the most common questions or probably the most common question I get is, uh, is being asked to certify to successors and assigns. And, um, and, you know, can I do that? And isn't that increasing my liability and, and blah, blah, blah. And you know, I've written on this so many times and we've talked about it so many times. It's, it's discouraging. I still get calls all the time on this. But um, on the other hand, I know, you know, it used to be a magazine came in the mail and we all sat down in the evening and read the magazine. And now we're getting pulled in 15 different directions and we get emails uh, all day long with information in them. And it's just impossible to absorb everything, uh, which I think actually is a, that's a whole different topic. But right. Yes, really exactly. Quite a major problem that um, none of us are probably as well informed as, as in a sense as we used to be. Uh, because it's go, 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 go all the time. And there's no time to stop and think about anything. But, uh, uh, so, you know, who we certify to is, is one thing. And that can absolutely and should be controlled by the surveyor in the contract. Uh, and that's what I do. I put in my contract that I am going to certify to these parties. And if I have this, the title commitment, uh, you know, a lot of times they're already listed, right? They've already nailed down the bank. They already know the entity. So 
Uh, I'll put in my right. contract. I am going to certify to uh, ABC Corporation, who is, if it's a sale, I'm going to certify to the buyer, the lender, and the title company. So I'll, I look in the, on the title commitment and the proposed insured is ABC Corporation. And, um, and the title commitment is uh, First American Title Insurance Company and the bank is Chase Bank. So my contract will say, I'm going to certify to uh, Chase Bank, First American Title Insurance Company and the ABC Corporation, period. Then I had another sense. And I say additional parties may be certified to for an additional fee. So now I'm in the driver's seat. And, and as far as that goes, successors and signs is, is, you know, in, in a sense, an additional party. But we can talk about that in a minute. But then I'm in the driver's seat because one of the most common things anymore is, you know, the law firm wants to be certified to. Okay, well, you know, if it's a regular client of mine and I know these people, I'm like, I'm probably just going to go ahead and do it. Keep everybody happy. Um, no harm, no foul. But if it's, uh, you know, if it's a law firm from another state or something, I'm probably going to say, sure, I'll, I'll be glad to do that. Um, you notice in the contract, there's an additional fee. And, and so that's going to be whatever I want it to be, you know, $500, $1,000, uh, $100, whatever it is, is the more parties you certify to potentially the more liability that you're exposing yourself to. So, um, so that's a, that is absolutely probably the most common thing I, I hear about is, you know, what about certification? And, and, and I tell people, if you deal with this in the contract, you are in the driver's seat and, uh, and then you can decide how to deal with it when the question comes. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that is a good point because so often, you know, now I've, I'm coming out of the private sector um, that that was, that was the case so often that you're right. They would add somebody after the fact, after the contracts uh, agreed to would say, yes, such and such attorney from California needs to be added to this because they're going to oversee this. Well, that's fine, but it's extending my liability. So it's going to cost this. You know, I feel like the survey is worth X dollars. The site is worth X dollars. My liability on all of this is extended that much further. Why not? Because chances, I mean, I, you know, that's what I always would tell, tell uh, our contemporaries and, and my, my staff. Bottom line is, what are the odds we're going to do work with these people again? Mm -hmm. And they're going to pay somebody for this service and we've already done it. We're extending our liability. You know, that's why it's worth that extra. And like you said, we're the, the surveyor is in the driver's seat with a signed contract with that statement in it. And that really, really works. So yeah. good point. Great point. So, yes. so what are some things that, uh, you know, some other things that, that, that come up in contracts that should or shouldn't be in there? Uh, I think that uh, it's good to specify exactly what you're going to do, right? So if you are in a state that has um, regulation, it's usually regulation, it's rules adopted by the board. I think in a couple states, it might be statute. But there are, there are standards in your state in, in most cases. There are a few states, uh, New York is working on them, but Pennsylvania doesn't have mandatory standards and California doesn't, Minnesota doesn't. Uh, that if you're in a state with mandatory standards, I mean, here's, here's how I write my contract. It starts off and it says, um, I'm going to perform a survey pursuant to 
And then I cite our administrative rule, 865 IEC 1-12. That's our survey standards in Indiana, right? Now, the, the client knows nothing about that, but I know that if, whether it's a land title survey or any other boundary survey, I have to follow the law of my state. So I put that in there, uh, perform the survey, um, per, you know, perform or conduct the survey pursuant to 865 IEC 1-12 and the 2000. 21 minimum standard detail requirements for ALTA and SPS land title surveys. Uh, and, and I like to spell that all out. You know, let's be specific. It's not an ALTA survey. It's an ALTA and SPS survey. Uh, yeah, I don't want to be vague. I want to, I want to say it's the 21 standards and right. the official title, 2021 minimum standard detail requirements for ALTA and SPS uh, land title surveys. And then, I, and then I get into table A, I'll say, including table A items, we can talk about table A items here in a minute, but I will list those. Uh, and, um, and then if there are table A items that I think I, or, or some commentary that I wanna put in there as kind of a qualifier, I'll put that right in the contract. But we, uh, you know, we might talk about the table A items, uh, it, a lot of, um, I, I've had numerous times people call me up, uh, surveyors call me up and say, you know what, I've even had attorneys call up and say, well, what are the typical table A items? Say, well, you know, a typical table A items, uh, there probably isn't such a thing. Um, I, I suppose most of us have an idea on what most people generally want. But when somebody asks me that question, uh, I think uh, a couple of things. Number one, there are some things required by my standards, right? In Indiana, I have to set or find a monument. So table A item one is automatically included. They don't have a choice on that. Uh, table A item four is the, is the area, uh, gross land area, but, but area is required in Indiana. So those two items I am automatically going to include. Table A item eight, that's the, you know, that's the substantial features not otherwise located that 100, well, I won't say that, 99.995% of the time, all surveyors in the United States, whether they say it or not, include table A item eight, right? Because if you look at the standards themselves, there's not that much that needs to be shown uh, on a land title survey, right? The, the building, right. the access points, the utilities, uh, evidence of use by others, you know, that's about it, or evidence around the boundary. But, uh, but we all locate the parking lot, we locate the sidewalks, we locate the landscaped areas and the flagpole and the swimming pool. We all do that because clients expect to see that. And if we ever sent it out and we didn't show that stuff, they'd probably send it back and say, hey, what are you doing? You didn't finish the survey, right? Right. So, so I automatically include table A item eight because that's just, that's just a normal thing. Um, actually, uh, Dick Bales and I uh, and, and, and uh, Richard Bales is on the, on the committee on the joint work group and uh, has been involved in the standards longer than, than I have. And he and I talked one time about, uh, he's a title attorney, you, you know, Dick Bales, uh, he's a title attorney. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he and I talked one time about, you know, we ought to just make this mandatory. 
because everybody does it 100% of the time. Uh, and let's just make it a, a required part of the standards. But then I quickly realized I would have to define what a substantial improvement is, which I'm just going to respectfully decline to, uh, to try and list all right. out. So we left it as a, as a checkoff item, but, but that's, you know, so, so those three are, are pretty much automatics, at least in Indiana and, and probably, uh, probably in, in most states. Um, otherwise, when somebody asks me, uh, what about, hey, you know, what, do you, what are the typical items? Uh, what I'll say to them is, uh, I'm assuming there's a lender, right? There's, this is, you're doing a land title survey because it's either a sale or a refinance. If it's a refinance, we know there's a lender. If it's a sale, there is probably a lender. And um, uh, so I say to them, uh, talk to your lender. Right, because they're the ones who are going to control what needs to be included in Table A, uh, and what we, you know, as you know, Tim, what we really don't like is to have somebody cherry pick Table A. Oh, you know, I don't think I want to do that. It's expensive. Blah blah blah. And you right. send the survey out, and two <laughs> days before closing, they say, "Oh, we need Table A item 11B, and we need this, and we need this, and we need this." Mm -hmm. Like, well, that's not what we contracted to do. Well, right. You know, so we can just avoid those problems by telling them up front. Contact your lender, and they they're going to have requirements send those to me. Right. Well, I guess that's that's a good point that uh, you're right. We always get those questions of, well, you know, what's typical? And you're right. It depends depends on depends on the site, depends on the use, depends on the the state you're in. You're exactly right. Um, you know, I had just an, I guess an off cuff thing is you're talking about, you know, what's a substantial improvement. Uh, we had a call the other day here that uh, somebody was doing a golf course. And whether or not, the, you know, it was it was our opinion that all of the cart paths needed to be shown because those would be substantial improvements. And you're exactly right. Who's to say? I mean, did, yeah. is is the buyer wanting to see that? I mean, that to me, that is something that's that is negotiable. That's definable. If you're not using, a, you know, item 15 and using a photo, do you need to go shoot all those things? Mm -hmm. Talk to talk to your client and find out. And that's. That's why I guess you know it. I like your point that it's it's important to have that contract and have these things uh, negotiated and laid out rather than just say this is what I think it should be. Um, you know, definitely don't let them sign that if that's not what they they're going to intend the deliverables going to be. Um, right. Yeah. No. It, it, it's a good point about uh, about that because there are certain table A items that that you may want to expound on in the contract. Right, uh, so table A item 15, of course, is a perfect example. Uh, and I've told the story many times about the 1100 acre chemical plant that, that I surveyed on the land title survey one time. And, and, they, and, the, and the buyer had said, you know, we, we don't need to see all the buildings, right? They're giving us the site plans. We've got the building plans. We, got the, we, don't, need, we don't need to see all that stuff. Famous last words. <laughs> yeah. and well, and, and it was exciting, you know, there were, as I recall, 88 buildings. I mean, it was going to probably add a hundred thousand dollars to the, it was 1100 acres. And, um, and I said, okay, well, um, how about we do this table A item 15, I can get high resolution rectified ortho color uh, ortho photos. 
we can overlay that on the survey. You'll see the buildings, you'll see everything. But I said, and this is consistent with what Table A on 15 says. I said, but, um, but there's stuff you're not gonna see, right? Because it's at a certain scale. And if we're on the ground, right. we're gonna see this manhole. And we may not see that in the photograph and there's gonna be shadows. And you're gonna see the roof line, not the actual face of the building. Uh, and, and we can't do the boundary this way. And we can't, you know, there's a fence around the whole property. We're gonna have to locate the fence. But all the stuff interior, we can do that. And they said, oh, that's, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. So, and, and what table A item 15 says is we have to have that conversation and we have to write in writing. So you put that right into the contract that this is what you're gonna do. And, uh, and then you have, you know, prevented problems uh, later on coming up and saying, wait a minute, well, you, know, you didn't, you know, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. Right, exactly. 15 is a great example of that. Exactly. And with technology, so many companies are, are bringing UAVs under their, you know, into their service and being able to do some of these things, like you said, at a high accuracy. So it's, it's nice to have that as, a, as really as additional information. Uh, but you're right. Make sure it's spelled out in the contract that you are going to utilize 15 for some of these entities that, yes, it's going to save you time and, and money and the clients money, hopefully, uh, by not having to locate every little single thing, but they have to under also understand because it's 15, there's only so much, but you're, you're spot on there. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, it's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a trade-off. It, it is. It is. Um, and I, okay. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to risk what I've been doing for many, many years with this question. Um, besides spelling it out in, in the, the scope of the contract, then the, the the table A items that we, we would offer for that, for that contract, we would typically also then add at the end of the, end of the contract, the actual table A with our check marks. So people could actually see what is being checked off, what those items are, and actually also see what the survey is not going to show by, by having that marked up uh, uh, table A list. Was that a smart thing to do, or is that, uh, or is that uh, maybe opening ourselves up for 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 something else? No, I, I wouldn't think so. You know, I've I've uh, I've done that kind of indirectly, but I, I like the idea because they can see right there. You know, here's what we're agreeing to do, and and we'll talk about the need to perhaps uh, uh, you know clarify or qualify some of those items in the contract. But uh, but having that right there, they can see. Oh, you know, here's our options. Uh, and maybe you send that off to them and they're like, Hey, I was looking at that item, you know, 13, I'm thinking maybe exactly that. Um, so I, I, I kind of like the idea, uh, you know, uh, back, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, somebody, uh, some surveyor somewhere, I don't, uh, if they're on, I apologize. I don't remember who it was, but they had uh, reformatted table a so that they had the, the checkbox on the left-hand side. And on the right-hand side, I think they had, I think there were maybe two columns and one was a column where they would check it off. For example, the left side, you know, is, is at left side of table A says, check this item off and that's what we're gonna do. Right. But on, the, on their first column to the right, they, they, they had the option of checking off. For example, if it's monuments in Indiana, uh, that has to be done. The client may not wanna pay for it, uh, but that's, that's, 
too bad. Yeah, that's no choice. In Indiana law. But on the, th the second column on the right was, uh, was a dollar figure. And, and this company would uh, go through the property, go through the survey, the information they had, and they would fill in what any, you check off an item, here's what it's gonna cost, right? Now, I can't do that for monuments because that has to be included in Indiana, but I might say, uh, you know, a flood, you want a flood statement that's yeah, whatever, 300 bucks. Uh, you want uh, an address, it's $50. And, and, and every single item had a dollar amount associated with it. And this is on table A that they sent out to the client. To okay. Them decide. And, uh, and, and my comment to them was, I'll, I'll bet you don't get a whole lot of table A items checked off. And they said, yeah, because it, it, it goes along with the email that somebody sent me one time uh, where they, they, they blacked stuff out so I couldn't see who it was, but they had sent an email to a client and they said, here's table A, which table A items do you want? And they, they got an email back, which they sent me. And the email says, regarding table A, we want all the table A items that don't cost anything. <laughs> which is a spectacular oh, way boy. to uh, select table A items, right? Oh, boy. And, and, you know, what I would love to say in a situation like that is, well, I guess you don't want any of them then. Because every table A item, you want an address, it's 50 bucks. You know, you want this, it's 25 bucks or whatever. Right. Uh, uh, and and so I, I love that idea. That would take some work, you know, because you have to figure out what all these things would cost. But I like it because it shows people that uh, this isn't just a, a free, you know, check this off for free. There is a cost associated with everything you want. It's just like a law firm. It's just like a title company. Oh, you want this endorsement? Well, there's a there's a cost associated. So uh, I, I, love, I love that idea. I actually propose that kind of um, a, a little bit tongue in cheek. And you probably saw that or may have seen that uh, when we were working on 2021. And, uh, and while people generally liked it, they're like, yeah, probably doesn't belong in the standards, which I didn't disagree with. But, uh, yeah, but you're right. That's the idea. That is a negotiating tactic that, uh, yeah, shouldn't necessarily maybe be in the standard, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, I do want to go back and focus on something that you said uh, a little bit ago, especially Indiana and I, Illinois was the same way and the, the others, other states. And I guess I, to help drive this point home, coming from Gary Kent, Mr. Land Title Survey, is that in these states where monumentation is not an option, we, we need to put that in the contract. Besides saying you're going to do table A number one, it's a statute. It's a state rule. It's a it's a policy. It's whatever. It's not optional because I know I've talked to so many attorneys across the country wanting to do you know doing a survey in Illinois, and they're like, no, my surveyors don't never no no I don't want number one. It's not it's not an option. You you got to put that in there. I guess please tell the world one more time that if it's something that's mandatory, it needs to be in the contract and it needs to be done. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I like the idea. I don't, I don't recall that I do that, but, uh, you know, I probably just throw it in there. And, uh, and if they say, well, I don't want that, I'm like, well, sorry, that's required in Indiana. It would make more sense to go ahead and just say that. By the way, here are uh, two or three items that are required in, in this state. But 
Yeah, surveyors have to understand uh, land title survey standards are not the law, right? They are a set of standards that have been adopted by two organizations, NSPS and ALTA. And, um, and there's no ALTA NSPS police, right? The police is you and me and, and the attorneys and the lenders and the title companies uh, who are going to police this or, or and or our you know, our competing surveyors, uh, they're the police. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, the real police is your state law. So if your state law says you have to report an acreage on the survey and you have to set monuments, then uh, the fact that that's optional on the land title survey standards uh, does not mean it's optional because you're, you have to comply with the law in your state. And we address this, I think it's in section 3B of the, of the standards. Uh, and section 3B says there are, um, there are uh, administrative rules, ordinances, statutes uh, that have been adopted by states and in some cases, uh, local jurisdictions that regulate the practice of surveying in those areas. And we have to comply with those laws. Exactly. I mean, that it's just no other way around that. Exactly. It, it's it's what you know, whatever the appropriate boundary law is, that's what needs to be followed, because at the heart of it, I mean, that's what I think, you know, sometimes in talking to some of our some of our contemporaries and practitioners that I, it's almost like they, they, they lose that sight that, you know, really the Alta is a is a dressed up boundary survey. And it's yeah. that's what it the, the base of that still needs to be. A boundary determination, and what would you do on a on a normal, everyday boundary, whatever was required by your state and your jurisdiction? So, um, you know, and I get it. I, I know there are some states where you know monumentation is optional. I just had this conversation uh, on the East Coast last week about uh, about New York and some of the areas that you know. Well, it's not in statute. Monumentation is not required. No. And, uh, and and those in the city, that's you know, there. Uh, New York is trying very hard to get a set of standards. And uh, yes, problem a problem as as you have found out is the difference between being in uh, downstate in the city and upstate in uh, not in the city. So yes, uh, it's a it's a radically different environment. And uh, I'm I'm hoping they can work their way through it. I, I hope so too. Uh, you know, it's funny. Just I guess a quick tangent on that. Talking about that coming from Illinois, and it was always the state of Chicago versus the rest of the state of Illinois. Um, you know, and I I shouldn't have thought that that was unique, but to hear the New York City versus the New York State argument and the monumentation um, differences was just it was just a little bit of an eye opening. So. I guess getting back to the subject, I mean, that's why it is so critical that these things be in a signed contract, signed, agreed upon contract to know exactly what you're going to be delivering and and to limit your liability, uh, especially you know in the, this day and age, like I said, besides just being litigious, uh, the values of, of some of the things we're surveying now are just obviously uh, a little bit crazy. We've got to protect ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And, uh, you know, when you have it in the contract, it's understood in, in the law that, that you have had a meeting of the minds 
and uh, and a well-written contract will be very clear. It's one of the really important things that we strive for on the land title survey standards is that uh, can you certify that that you did a survey pursuant to these standards? And, and the answer is yes, you can. Uh, I, sometimes I have people say, you know, I don't like to do land title surveys. There's so much liability. See, I, I think you have more liability on a generic boundary survey. Absolutely. Two owners who don't understand what you're doing versus uh, a land title survey where, where you've got attorneys and you've got title people looking over your shoulder. Um, not in the sense they're looking for something for you to do wrong, but they're going to point out, hey, you know, that one easement, I don't see that easement on here. Oh, yeah, I need to add that easement. Uh, and they have some general concept of, of what a survey involves, whereas your, your average homeowner doesn't have a clue uh, what you're doing. And, and we know that your average homeowner is more than happy to spend $50,000 uh, suing their neighbor over two inches, which is simply not going to happen uh, on most land title surveys. Right, exactly. Well, and, and something uh, that I always try to stress to, to, uh, to fellow surveyors is that I've always taken the approach, this has just been ingrained in me, that any survey could end up in court, any survey. And some people will say, well, that's a negative way to look at it. Well, you have to just, you have to do what you need to do to protect yourself. And an assigned contract will help do that. It's no different than getting out in your car every day and you can be the best driver, the safest driver, but somebody still might hit you. Something still might happen that's out of your control that, you know, there, there are things if you don't, if you don't, you're providing that survey to the best of your ability, to the best of your, of your knowledge, your research, there may be something, you know, the million dollar manhole, whatever that, uh, that may sneak up, but you need to protect yourself. And this is one way, one significant way through a signed contract to limit that liability. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh, and even, you know, identifying the parties you're going to certify to, uh, the certification that you're going to use, that's another item we haven't touched on, but, uh, you know, we, we pretty much did away with that problem, I think in, it was in 2011, probably, when we finally uh, had it up, up to here with lenders telling us what certification we were going to use. So in 2011, we, we drew a line in the sand and we said uh, the following unaltered, I know I think it says only the following unaltered certification may be uh, placed on the, on the face of the platter map, uh, except pursuant to section 3B. And section 3B is identifying, for example, in the state of Indiana, my certification has to have certain wording in it. Right? So, um, so when I do a contract, I, I say, we are going to use the certification mandated in um, section seven of the, uh, of the standards. Uh, but that, and that includes in the end, because it says that you have to use that, except uh, uh, as maybe required by 3B. And so what I'm telling them indirectly is I'm gonna use this certificate, but I have to add another sentence because that's what Indiana requires. Uh, that, you know, we took care of, mostly took care of that problem in 2011, but um, uh, I, I put it in there because uh, let's be clear, right? I'm not using some other certificate. This is the one you're getting. Um, I, I add a sentence, by the way, after that, that says um, a, a lender's certificate may be, may be provided 
number one, for an additional fee, and number two, that the wording of that certification will be acceptable to the surveyor. So when they shove this page and a half certificate in front of you the day before closing and tell you that you have to sign this, number one, I'm in the driver's seat because my contract said I, I might do that. I might. Right. Uh, and if I do do it, it's going to cost more money. And we are going to negotiate that wording to my satisfaction. And I think this is such an important point because, you know, it, I, I don't think it's as bad as it used to be, but the attorneys are going to browbeat you. Uh, you know, you can't change anything. It's got to look just like this. You're the, Tim, you're the first surveyor I ever ran across <laughs> who wouldn't sign this certificate. Um, I, I asked that question in program. How many of you yep. told you're the first surveyor uh -huh. who ever was, you know, protested this and, and two thirds of the people raise their hand and I say, every one of you is apparently the first surveyor, right? Who yes, wouldn't do exactly. Uh, and, and so you have to stand up and, and my point in, uh, and in, in specifying this sort of thing is that people, surveyors should not misunderstand. Attorneys know exactly what they're doing, right? They, they're not, they don't, uh, it is well known to them that they are asking us to sign certificates that we should not sign. They, they know that. There, there is no question. They will tell you they don't know. They will add, tell you there's no additional liability uh, never heard of anybody who protested this, never knew anybody who wanted to change the wording. You're the first surveyor who's had a problem with this. Uh, you know, that used to upset me. It doesn't anymore. That's just an attorney doing their job, right? Uh, you hire an attorney to, among other things, uh, shift liability from you to someone else. And if they can get some unsuspecting surveyor to sign a certificate that the surveyor should not sign, good for them. Right. Uh, so I, that's why I tell surveyors like, no, don't fall for that crap is what it is. Right. Uh, yes. Tell them I, I might do that certificate. I might not, but if I do, we're going to change the wording to where it's satisfactory to me. And, uh, and as an aside, you can send that to your professional liability people. They will, they will give you guidance on what you should say and what you shouldn't say. So exactly. I, I think that's a, that's a critical point. Yep, don't, exactly. Don't bend, you know, don't bend under the pressure because uh, because they know that what they're doing, right? It's all a charade. They're just trying to get you to do something that they know you should not do. Exactly, and it's a, and it just puts that that the, the onus of that liability back back on the surveyor, which uh, it's exactly what we're talking about and why it's important to. Have the, have the right verbiage in that contract that's protecting you, the surveyor. I mean, that's the whole purpose is you're providing, you're providing a service. You're providing information that you, you, can, be, you can be held liable for if, if it, in fact, is, 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 is fraud, not necessarily fraudulent, but if it's wrong, if there's something that is done is wrong. We got to do something, you know, you, you just have to do it to, to make sure that you protect yourself. So, right. and I, and I like, I like your statement about, you know, putting that, putting that verbiage in there about the certification. So, you know, that, that to me is, is one of those things that seems like it always comes back, even with the signed contract and they say, oh, well, but you know, now the lenders stepped up and put this, no, 
we, this is what's agreed upon. This is what's required. And like you said, it puts, puts the surveyor in the driver's seat to say, I may look at it. I may decide to sign it. And if I do, I have the right to, to charge you for it. So, um, you know, it's all about having having that the control over your own destiny on some of this stuff. Uh, that's correct, and 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 you know, part of the problem, uh, Tim, is that lenders, uh, you know, you would think that they're really sophisticated when it comes to this stuff, but but they're not. Uh, they often think that they have to get us to do something in a certification in order that they can get the title coverage that they want. For, for example, uh, there are utility endorsements, right? And most lenders want a utility. You're, you're selling a, a hotel and the lender wants this title company to give them a utility endorsement that, that basically says all the utilities necessary for operating the premises are available through public rights of way or, or in easements. And if that wording sounds familiar, uh, there's a reason that sounds familiar. So they want that endorsement and they think in order to get that endorsement, they have to have us certify that all utilities necessary for operation of the premises are available through public rights of way or recorded easements. They don't need that. You know, the, the title company looks at this hotel and says, it's an operating hotel. It's been here for 10 years. Uh, we're fairly certain that they have electricity and gas and sewer <laughs> yes. and water, right? They, the surveyor does not need to certify that stuff. Now, you know, if you do, you better be sure that what you're saying is correct. But the fact is we are asked that stuff, not because the lender is being a pain in the butt, it's because they don't realize that we don't have to say that in order for them to get their endorsement. I actually had that conversation with an attorney one time. He said, well, I need to get this endorsement. It wasn't utility, it was something else. He said, I, I need you to say this to get this endorsement. I said, let's get the title company on the phone. I, they don't need me to say this in order to get that endorsement. And, and of course I was right. You know, you get the title company on the phone, they're like, oh no, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> so, it's just very frustrating that a lot of these problems are because the lenders don't, you know, haven't done their research. They don't know. I actually had a lender tell me one time, uh, I, I only do this because I know if you do this, I get what I want. Right? Exactly. No interest in understanding what was going on. Well, um, I, I've actually got a, still got a couple more. I know we're running a little longer than normal, but I got a couple more good things I think we needed to talk about. This is such a great topic. Um, one question I have for you uh, in putting into a contract to agree upon, what do you think about deliverables? Yeah, um, I put in my contract that uh, we are going to complete the survey uh, and then we are going to send it out unsigned for review. And then we say, we will address one set of comments, one set of the consolidated comments of all the interested parties, right? So I'm not gonna respond to uh, comments from the lender. And I'm not gonna respond to comments from the buyer not going to respond to comments from the title company. They all need to get together and provide me one set of comments. 
So our contract says that's included, right? We're going to send the survey out unsigned. And I'll explain why we do that. Uh, we send it out unsigned. They will review it. They'll send us a letter or an email that says, here's all of our concerns. Uh, we will then address those. And this is what the contract says. We will address those, uh, those comments. And addressing them doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to do them. It might be something I can't do. We'll address the comments. And then we will sign and certify the survey. And we will send out uh, as a PDF uh, and uh, I think we say up to four copies if, if requested. Uh, we say that on the initial one also. We'll send out the PDF or, and, and or copies if they want them for review. When it's all done, we sign, certify, send a PDF. It's kind of interesting. I think in the last, shoot, I don't know, in the last four years, I, I don't think I've sent a hard copy out in the last four years. Very few. Uh, uh, so, uh, but that's what we do. Now, the reason that we send it out unsigned, and I just talked with a surveyor about this a couple of days ago. Um, if you sign it and send it out, we, we know there's going to be comments and changes, right? There, uh, almost 100% of the time, there's something. Well, if I have signed it and sealed it, I have to show that change as a revision, right? And so, and then if I reply to comments from the lender and from the buyer and from the title company, all of a sudden I sign the survey, they, then the final one is done two weeks later and it already shows two or three revisions, right? That just, that does, number one, it makes me crazy. And the other one, it's just not necessary. Mm -hmm. So I send it out unsigned, which means it's not a finished survey yet. And then I can address all those comments and not have to show them as a revision. I address the comments, then I sign and seal it and send it out. And our contract, by the way, says any additional comments will be addressed time and materials. Right. Uh, so that's, I, I, I don't know if that covers the, the issue on deliverables, but that's how we deal with it. And it works really well. Well, I don't think there's any one tried and true this is what the you know the the committee and the 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 the, the standard says. It's just I, you've been around the block enough. You you know what works for the for the for the system and for our profession. Uh, I think it's good to hear that as a as a typical as as a as a prototype for people to think about putting in their contracts because there's always seems to be that issue on well you didn't give me what I what I thought I was going to be getting. Well, yeah. what did we agree upon? Put it in the contract. Exactly. Put it in the contract. Right. I guess the other thing I want, would ask you about contractual, and uh, and it's not necessarily from just a standard uh, point of view, but also just you know from a, a good practice. What about delivery dates? How do you feel about putting delivery dates in there? <laughs> uh, I try to avoid a specific delivery date. Uh, because then I am contractually obligated to that uh, other than, you know, acts of God type of things, but which are written into our contract. Uh, I like to put in delivery be, deliverable date. What I typically put in the contract is as agreed upon. Right? Now, sometimes we get hired on a land title survey and they are adamant, you know, this, we, this is a deal. We have to have this three weeks from Friday or whatever if I know that's the case, and, and pretty much unless I agree to that, we're not going to get the work. And if we're pretty certain we can get it done, I'll, I'll put that in there. But I don't like to. 
Uh, I would rather just say as agreed upon, and then, you know, then that gives us some leeway. And they say, we need it a week from Friday. I'm like, well, I probably can't do that. How about, you know, the following Wednesday? And like, right. Okay. And, and so we've agreed on something and, and we're all happy. But, uh, you know, I, and, and I've had advice before, you know, yeah, that's something that you might try and avoid if you can. Yes, I, I completely agree. Because I know one, one issue that we kept coming up against when we were kind of backed into a corner to put a date on, then we go, don't get a title policy in time. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's, you know, I don't have the title policy or I get it the night before and it takes, you know, X amount of time to go through it. There's no way we can still deliver a final survey based upon, you know, your lack of response to some things. So, um, you know, that's one thing I always try to caution people. If you're going to do something like that, you know, give yourself, X number of days after receipt of a final title or something to include. Right. You don't, you don't want to end up backing yourself into a corner. Yeah. Right. And, you know, something that I, we've con you know, I contemplated doing, um, and I don't know if it's, this makes sense or not. I mean, so often we get pro forma titles versus the final versions and that uh, you, you know, to be able to put in there, this, this needs to be based upon the final title commitment that's that's determined and current uh not something somebody's just dredged up from two years ago uh, oh well nothing's changed i mean it really i guess there's that fine line of defining current um but uh making sure that it's not some uh working title versus uh the, the final version yeah well let's let's talk about that for a second and i know we're running long here but um, quite all right good topic uh, what a what a title commitment is is it's an offer to provide title insurance right? under uh, subject to certain exceptions and under certain conditions because you have a vicious circle that uh, I can't buy the property without the loan and I can't get the loan until they get title insurance and they can't get title insurance until I own the property right so you have this vicious circle and that's where a title commitment comes in what a title commitment says is on on schedule a it says we are agreeing to provide this amount of insurance on this property to these people right? and then it says basically subject to the exceptions that are listed in schedule b2 right the easements and those sorts of things uh, if certain things happen right? so we're going to provide this insurance on this property for this amount of money to these people, um, subject to these exceptions, if certain things happen. Those certain things are listed in Schedule B1. We usually don't look at B1, but that tells the things that have to happen in order that a policy will be issued. Um, and that gets everybody pretty much to the closing table. Good. Uh, now, a pro forma is, well, the, the title commitment will change, right, over time because, oh, somebody found an easement or the, the last version of the title commitment will uh, reference our survey on it. Uh, what a pro forma is uh, that a lot of lenders, a lot of people want to see this. So we've got the, the final title commitment, right? Uh, but we want to see what is our policy going to look like? When all is said and done, right? Because maybe they, the commitment has come out, the final commitment, and, uh, and, and the title company has said, well, we're gonna take exception to this fence encroachment. And the lender has persuaded them 
to not take an exception for that fence encroachment. They're like, it's a one foot encroachment and we're buying 30 acres, just, you know, just insure over it. And, and maybe they agree to do that. Well, what the pro forma is a, it's a, typically it used to be, um, I don't know how they do it now, but it literally was a, was a printout of the last title commitment and they take a pen and they would mark it up and say, well, we're gonna delete this one exception here. And, you know, and they would handwrite on there and schedule uh, B1 gets completely deleted because all of those things are gonna get taken care of. So it's a markup that shows in essence, kind of um, uh, in sketch form, what the final policy will look like. And that's perfectly acceptable for a surveyor to use. You can do that. I, you can use a commitment that's five years old if you want. You can use a policy that's 10 years old. The, what the standards say is the most recent title work that is acceptable to the insurer, to the title company. Uh, you can get started on old stuff. Uh, but I tell surveyors, if, if somebody says, well, you know, we're not going to get new title insurance, I always ask, is there a lender? And if they say, yeah, there's a lender, well, there will be new title yeah, insurance. It's going to so come you back. Can get started on that old stuff, but just keep in mind, you will be reviewing new title work before it's all said and done. And, uh, and you know, and that, that raises some other questions we can talk about another time yeah. uh, about exceptions and stuff like that. So um, I, I, I try and encourage surveyors, don't get too hung up or too worried about that the information you've been given is old. Um, we, you know, you have to, by the standards, you have to put on the survey what the source of title was. If it's a commitment from five years ago, that doesn't bother me in the least. I'm going to say on the survey, title was based on this commitment from five years ago. Um, somebody's going to take exception to that at some point. So I need to understand right. that will right. change. I am going to spend some more time on it, but I'm perfectly fine getting going that way. Well, and I guess that, that, I guess to kind of put a bow on, I mean, it's, it's important to, I guess, to, I always felt it was important to put that in, in a, in a, a contract to say that, yes, uh, client, title company, anybody involved with this, you need to provide us with that, the, the, you know, the most recently available title commitment for use on this survey. And because they're not going to go, you know, so many of these people that are involved in this transaction, they don't know the standard. They don't know to go read it and know that they're going to have to provide these things. Just spell it out in your contract. Just yeah. remind them that they have to provide that information. Right. I, I agree a hundred percent, Tim. And I, um, but I uh, uh, would just say that uh, I, I do hear from surveyors who say, well, they tried to give me something five years old. I told them they need to order a new title commitment. That is not my position to do no. that, right? No. Uh, they, if they wanna give me a 10 year old policy, I'm, I am perfectly happy with that. My survey is gonna reflect that I used a 10 year old policy. So it is not up to surveyors to tell people that they need to order title insurance. Right. That's that's a great point. Thank you for make, making that because I think we do get hung up on that. That we do. Yeah. It's oh no, I've got yeah, you're right. I've, I've got to have the latest and greatest. Well, if this suffices, it, it and this is what everybody's agreeing to. Like, and I guess that was the whole point of you know really this topic. It's it it's in the contract. It is the it's the latest available. It doesn't matter whether it's two weeks or ten years. It, it's and everybody agrees upon it. So yeah. that's what the survey will be based upon. 
Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, which, like you say, puts a ball around the whole issue of, you know, let's be specific in the contract. Well, very good. Any last words on, on really, to, I guess, to really put a bow on, a, on, a con, on contracts and why they are so important? I mean, just general good business practice, but really for the, for the land title survey to make sure we cover our bases. Yeah. And I, I tell people, and you mentioned at the very beginning, you know, well, I have these regular clients and we do things on a handshake. I, that's, that's, you know, that's admirable. Uh, but I tell people who don't like that, the written contract, I mean, you know what, it protects the client also, right? It doesn't just protect me. It protects them because I, they have in writing what I am saying I am going to do. Right? And if something goes wrong and I didn't do that, then it's to their benefit to have it also. And exactly. I, I think that's an important point for clients and for surveyors who, well, I've never used one before. Well, you know, it's to your client's benefit also. Exactly. I mean, bottom line is it's, it's, it, it fosters effective communication and it, de it just it develops that, that business relationship that's so necessary when you're you know, a lot of these surveys can get very expensive at times, and it's uh, it's very important to to have that basically a little bit of a trust through this contract right. between between the clients and the surveyor. So, absolutely, well, uh, great stuff as always, Mr. Kent. I appreciate your time, and uh, um, we've got to meet. We've got to, our spring meetings are coming up for NSPS, so your committee will be getting together and. Uh, talking about all the stuff that's come out of the 2021 and all, just it's amazing to me that even when the brand new standard comes out there's always things it's always a moving target it is it is i've got uh i don't know two three pages of suggestions already so yeah yeah very good well that'll be a that'll as always great conversation um and i guess i want to maybe tease a little bit um i guess going forward I, in your opinion, are we going to have to start thinking about more digital and digital products and digital submissions and other other standards that that this uh, this that our standard is going to have to comply with to make to I guess meet meet the digital world? Uh, it 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 may. I think most of that probably would fall under a, under contractual types of issues. But I do think we need to look. We're going to need to look at a few things. And for example, the standards start off and say, you know, this is basically an on the ground survey, uh, except for Table A item fifteen. Table A item fifteen says, you know, there's these other things that that we could do. I think at some point. Uh, using, for example, a drone uh, or whatever else uh, should not be considered some outlier that has to fall under table A. Somehow at some point we need to mm -hmm. fold that in and just recognize that that this is in fact uh, normal survey work nowadays and it shouldn't be treated as some outlier. So I think that'll be an interesting thing uh, that, that maybe we'll be working on for 2026. Very good. Well, like I said, it, it's it's always amazing the the things that change as soon as the standard comes out. That oh, and you're right. It it is a moving target. We didn't think of this. We didn't think of that. It's it's human nature. But it's uh, you know, and that's what I I I try to concentrate and tell people. You know, a I mean, this is the value of being an NS, NSPS member and how long this relationship has been going, and the value of what this committee 
and what these standards bring to the surveying profession. Bottom line, um, it's it, uh, it 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 is such a good thing, and I don't I don't know that people really are all of our practitioners really understand how valuable this all is. Yeah, I, uh, I you know I I'd like to think they do, but I know they don't. You know, we don't reach probably. Uh, half of the surveying community uh, at best uh, through all of the means that we, that we try. Well, we'll keep at it, but uh, no, looking forward to a good committee meeting. And uh, obviously, you know, uh, you're a fan favorite, so we'd like to have you back and we'll talk about some things. So uh, absolutely, uh, let's do it. We'll do it again. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week of Surveyor Says. Thanks for joining us and remember to subscribe wherever uh, you listen to your podcasts, and we do have some great conversations coming up. Uh, we're going to jump into some geodesy. We're going to jump into uh, a lot of different things that still all survey related, obviously, but uh, some things you may not have thought about. So we'll be talking to you soon. So uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you very very soon. You've been listening to the Surveyor Says podcast, brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com, and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor.